second only to the game we pursue, gear is absolutely the most talked about aspect of our sport. How well it works, durability, cost, and if the company you purchase from is one whose purpose and morals align with your own. Well, Sportsman Gear was established to help unite sportsmen and women who share a passion for everything the outdoors has to offer. With their newly released Outbound system, they have successfully helped all of us who love the outdoors bridge the gap between affordability and gear that works for you whenever or wherever you need it. Whether you're in the trees or the marsh chasing that beautiful iridescent green head, in a saddle ready to release an arrow at the buck of a lifetime, or taking in the vistas after a rigorous hike in the backcountry, the outbound system is going to take care of you. Offering mid and outer windproof, water-resistant layers in your favorite camo or natural colors that prepare you for whatever the wild has in store. It's what we are using and trusting to see us through everything the harsh season on the road has in store. Head over to sportsmangear.com and use code REWIND for 20% off what is already some of the most affordable and durable gear on the market. The complete outbound system by Sportsman Gear. Very few hunters, whether experienced or green, are going to head to the swamp or blind without their lanyard of calls. A duck call, despite what most companies today want you to think, isn't going to make you see more birds. But a great call in the hands of a hunter will absolutely help you have a better opportunity to harvest the birds you do see. At a young age, I was handed an echo call to get started, and I still blow one to this day. I am fortunate enough to be a part of the Echo Field Staff Program, and I can honestly say they are one of the only call companies on the market that makes a call for every level of caller. Echo Calls was established in 1975 by one of the best to ever do it, Mr. Rick Dunn. The folks over at Echo have a simple rule when it comes to the calls they put out. If they aren't going to use it in the field, it won't leave the shop. You can find Echo Calls in virtually any outdoor store you find yourself in. But if you head over to echocalls.com, you can find a guide on call selection and sound files for every call made. So head over, let's get your lanyard full of tried and true calls that will help you convince more birds you are where they want to be. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to the Rewind Waterfowl Podcast. <laughs> so, do you guys get a lot of water from this last storm that came through? Or man, it I'm, I'm actually out scouting right now, and we yes and no. We got like it was we got a real light rain that saturated the, the ground was already relatively saturated. Then we get a light rain. And then it kind of got a downpour. So it's like it didn't run per se, but like the fields, like there's sheet water in fields, but nothing like not much big water out of it, if that makes sense. And were y'all in pretty much a drought most of the year, like the rest of the state? Oh, yeah. We, uh, man, I think we might have gotten like a couple tenths between like planting seasons. We're in a big cotton area. So, like, let's say, the May Juneish time, we might have got a couple tents, couple cotton showers between that and like September, late August. So it's uh, it, it was it was really bad. I, <laughs> it's hard, you know, because you this is my the livelihood and stuff. You don't have water, you don't have birds. So let's just say I've been stressed all year, and stress is slowly easing away. We're starting to pick up a few birds and uh, crane. That is got a decent amount of ducks around, but that's usual with you know 
those are the, you know, the calendar birds, as I like to call them. Those show up every year on time, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's the, that's those photo period birds. I, I talk about those a lot in my post. People seem to uh, neglect those photo period, those calendar migrators, and just think about the birds that move with the fronts. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's that's correct. We have a metric ton of sprigless pintails, <laughs> just molting pintails that are they have their colors, but they just don't have their sprig. Um, then. Everybody wants to shoot a sprigged up pintail, you know, and I don't know. I just got back from Canada and there was a million pintails there, it felt like, and I'm I'm over a pintail as of right now. <laughs> Dude, I'm with you, man. I uh so I've I've harvested a great many deal of pintails throughout my career and trust me, they're a beautiful bird. I get why people are obsessed with them, but Pintail and a mallard, I uh, I could care less these days, man. I I understand that. Where whereabouts are you out of again? So my home state is uh, South Carolina. So I'm in South Carolina. I hunt a good bit here, but I travel pretty much everywhere to get on birds. So I gotcha. next next couple of weeks, I'm heading up to Iowa, and then we'll head down to Kansas, um, Oklahoma. We'll hit Texas. A little bit later into January, I'll head over to Arkansas, Mississippi, and then uh the end of the season i'll finish in florida heck yeah dude that sounds like a that sounds like a really good trip but we definitely need to come back to that because i'm interested in how the hunting is in florida and uh states like that but yeah i mean for us we like our our main we have a lot of diversity in ducks here we have like some alkaline lakes and like more salty waters that are we call them salt flats. The cranes love to roost on them. But then we also have a good amount of fresh water. We call them playa lakes or perennial bodies of water that dry up. And uh, the the ducks, it's our pre most prevalent duck is going to be your pintail, widgeon, and your gadwall. Probably your green winged teal as well. But we do get a good handful of mallards. And depending on like what kind of if we're hunting water and what kind of water we're hunting, it's not weird to get. Basically, I'd say every central flyway uh, diving duck. So your, you know, your blackjack, your ringneck, both scops, uh, canvas back, redhead. Pretty much those main ones are pretty common to shoot when we're running. It's rare if we get like a golden eye. I've only shot one of those in my almost 30 years of life. So it just kind of depends. But we've got a pretty good diversity of birds in our area. That's for sure. And for everybody listening, can you explain? I, I, I everybody's going to get that you're in Texas with the podcast team, but can you explain to everybody where at in Texas you're at? Yeah, so we're out of uh, the Big Spring, uh, Texas area. So we're about. If you're familiar with Texas, I know Big Spring. You're like, ah, I don't know where that is. Uh, if you think oil, Permian Basin, Friday Night Lights, like the movie, we're in. No, oh, let me turn my text tone off. I apologize. Um, we're out in the basically on the edge of the Permian Basin. We're about four and a half hours due west of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's uh, it's different. There's not a whole lot of ag around, but where there is ag, there's birds. So it seems to be pretty nice. And uh, now, don't get me wrong, we do get our handful of days where we get our, you know, our platter thrown back in our face, and our cards just don't, you know, play out right. But that's hunting. But it's uh, usually pretty good for us out here. 
And I know being the outfitter, Dirty Texas Outfitter, uh, you guys are, would you say your bread and butter is cranes or do you think it, yeah. it's pretty spread even across all waterfowl? Uh, no, it's going to be, pri- I'd say primarily it's going to be sandhill crane for the most part. We don't get, it's, it's really weird and it's interesting if, and if you have people from Texas that are listening to this and do a good amount of goose hunting, we the, the flyway kind of splits. So Lubbock, Texas, which is actually where my house is, where my wife and I live, but I live here about half the year. Um, it's covered up in little geese. So you got, I'd say about 85% lessers, cacklers, and then you got, you know, your specs and a few rots of geese and a few snow geese that pass through. But you, we're kind of in the little divot between that and then I'd say like the Knox City, Haskell, North to Abilene area where you have like your people like Stanfield hunting outfitters and those guys where they're just plumb full of speckle bellies. So it, it's it's weird. We don't get geese here for the most part. I We might have shot eight geese last year. We, we primarily target crane and ducks. Uh, we had a pretty pretty good season last year on ducks considering there was like very little water so we made it work and we uh shot a banded pintail which was pretty cool it was banned it was like eight years old banded in south dakota and uh little side story on that one is we were we didn't even we knew it was, it was banded obviously and uh the the guys they sent it in and like five days later the biologist called and was like hey wanted to let you know did you get the the gps transmitter off that bird and we're like what no like there wasn't a there wasn't a backpack on this bird and he was like no it wasn't on the bird it was inside the bird and i don't know if this is like a relatively new thing or what but basically what they were doing is he said it was about the size of a 20 gauge shell they they surgically implant it in the back uh of the duck and it lives in there and He's like, did y'all find it? And we were like, no, man, we didn't. And, you know, running an outfitter, we killed lots of birds and stuff, and we weren't able to, you know, find that bird in the pile, I guess, you know, per se, of all of our clean birds and everything, and, and find it. So that was unfortunate. But it ended up pinging somehow, I guess, from the decaying of the birds. And uh, he sent us a little screenshot, a little snippet of what it was like, and it was cool because it showed us, you know, just one screenshot of, where that duck had been, it had been in our area for about a month before we had shot it. And then it had, you know, spent five days here, 10 days here, a couple days here, just kind of, it was all over the place. So it was really, really interesting to see. Yeah. That's awesome, man. A lot, a lot to unpack in that little bit there. Um, yeah, I apologize. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. It's all good. I love it. That was, that was awesome. Uh, the first thing I'll ask you being over in Lubbock, are you a Texas tech guy? I am. I am a Texas Tech alumni, graduated in 2017 with a degree in agribusiness. I, uh, it is, it's a sore subject being a Texas Tech Red Raider because, simply to put it, we are trash at football. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we are trash at football, and we're pretty decent at baseball. We were pretty good at basketball, but if y'all keep up with sports – you know, our kind of history with Coach Beard and then going to Texas and that whole debacle. So our program's kind of gone a little downhill on that. We lost a bunch of recruits, but um, 
nothing too terrible if that makes sense. But yeah, big big Texas Tech Red Raider. Yeah, I won't I won't hold it against you, man. I'm an Oklahoma State guy, so <laughs> but, but I think we, we can still be buddies. We can still be buddies. Yes, sir. Yeah, so you're big what well, how do you feel about Mike Gundy? Like do you think uh you think his time's done? Uh, yeah, I think it's time to hang it up. I like Gundy. I'll, I've always liked Gundy, but yeah, I think it's time to, I think it's best for the program for, to move on. That's understood. Yeah. I, I, I've all, I, I miss, or I, I don't keep up with OSU that much, but does he still have his mullet or did he, I think he cut that, didn't he? Yeah, he cut it. No more mullet. Yeah. That's, that's what happened, man. He cut the mullet and lost, lost his, lost his touch. <laughs> It happens to the best of us, man. I wish I still had my little rat tail from the 90s, but I guess we all grow up at some point, right? Well, somewhat. Yeah, I think my wife would say I need to grow up a little more, you know? I'm with you, brother. Um, So kind of just going back a little bit more, another thing I'd like to unpack for that, I think is going to help pretty much all of the Plains, the Midwest this year, being in a dry year. You said despite last year being there pretty much relatively no water across the landscape, you still had a good year. Can you talk about how you might have changed your tactics and how the birds might have acted differently and how you made that year successful? Yeah, of course. So when I say it was a really dry year, we're – and if, if there's people from Lubbock or like the Panhandle listen to this, it's different. Panhandle has, The Panhandle of Texas has what we call playa lakes. Like I said, they're perennial bodies of water that dry up usually once or twice a year. We don't have a whole lot of those in our area because we kind of are just on the edge of the break or the cap rock, quote unquote, which is the cap rock goes from the Llano Estacado or Llano Estacado Prairie. And then it's called the cap rock. It's basically the break where it goes from basically flat where you can watch your dog run away for two weeks to like canyons, if that makes sense. So we're kind of off that break and we're in a little more like cattle country pasture land. So most of our birds roost on like giant ranches, uh, stock tanks, that sort of thing, which definitely, in my opinion, helps us out because, you know, a big problem that all waterfowlers have is people shooting roosts. And, you know, if you shoot your roost, your birds leave and just, it, it's not a comfortable thing and it's usually nothing good. Well, with those a lot of our birds roost on those, so we have, you know, typically pretty comfortable birds. Now, the thing is it's different about us also is uh, the reason why I like this area better than the panhandle, per se, is because up there you're going to get your 10 to however many thousand bird crane feeds, and they're massive. They're huge. They're everywhere. Well, down here we're hunting 300, 500, usually tops about 1,000 bird crane feeds, which is a good amount. Well, we have less eyes on us and we have trees down here and for people to say oh trees west texas no we have mesquites so they're real small trees but they give us good enough cover to be able to get our blinds in there our a-frames our ghillie blankets and chairs layouts whatever it is and uh it usually gives us pretty good opportunity to you know harvest our birds so as far as like, you know, adapting and everything, I, I think what it was, was we, you know, it's, I don't know all the tricks to the trade and we'll never claim to know all those, but I will say that we didn't have a ton of birds last year, but we learned to, you know, you don't have to hunt the X per se every day. 
even if you have the X, we would we would basically sometimes get four to five hunts out of running traffic off an X before it kind of dissipated, if that makes sense. We'd hunt a field or two away and just run a real, you know, good, not necessarily a giant spread, but a, a spread that was believable, looked natural, and then we were really well hidden. Because that's a big thing with trains. If you're not hidden, it's going to be really hard to kill them. So I would say that that was a big, you know, plus and helped us kill a lot of birds this year. But, you know, lots of time hitting the roads, lots of scouts, playing the wind, playing, you know, shadows, uh, all, you know, kind of a combo of that thrown together was a big reason why I think we had a pretty successful year this past season. Man, that was a, a great way to put it together. I'm sure everybody listening will appreciate that. And I just want to harp on on the la- one of the last things you said there about you don't always have to be on the X. And, you know, that's something uh, I, you know, I kind of always known or experienced to a certain degree, but was really set in stone last season when I made it out West. We got out there early December and there was, there was no migration activity going on, just no migration activity whatsoever. So all the birds we were hunting, they were, I won't say local birds, but they had got to the area. There was no inclement weather to push them out. So they had kind of, you know, a temporary home per se. They got so sales. Exactly. A bunch of stale, stagnant birds. And, you know, we took notice of this. We knew that we found our birds and we three days in a row we hunted. We didn't hunt on the X. We didn't hunt exactly where we found these birds. We got close enough to them where we wouldn't disturb them uh, getting in the hole. Uh, we got in there. We shot limits very quickly, three days in a row uh, and, and got out of there as fast as we could and didn't bother those birds the rest of the day. And it still made for some of the best hunting I've ever had. So that was a great point you made. Yeah, and it's man, it, it I you probably will attest to this. It's it's more rewarding to to do that because you know I've killed my share of birds, and don't get me wrong, I love pulling the trigger. But it's for me, I feel like it's about you know pulling or putting smiles on people's faces and you know getting people out that have never done it before and and being able to trick those birds, you know, not not in like a vindictive way, you know what I'm saying, but like being able to outsmart them per se and 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 bring them in on something where you're kind of at a disadvantage and it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of hard work, but it's really rewarding when it happens. Absolutely. That's, and I've, I've been saying it since I started this and everybody I get the chance to talk to, um, you know, new up and coming in the sport. I feel the same way. It's, it's that kind of, it, I akin it to what you hear the, the old cliche about life, right? It's like, don't focus so much and put all of your thought into what that destination, that end goal looks like and overlook the entire journey, the overlook the entire process. I, I, we make these big trips out West and, you know, there's sometimes it's just two of us. And most of the time it's six to eight of us, you know? Um, and I find, I find my most or find the most happiness in this process when I'm able to get out there put the work in and, and put my, my buddies and everybody that's come with me on the birds, right? I could care less about pulling the trigger myself. I, I like the process of getting out there, finding the birds, understanding why they're in an area uh, and being able to pull them off of maybe we can't get to where exactly they want to be, but we're going to be over here and let's get these birds um, persuaded to get over here on this side. And that's where I find the most joy. Um, yeah. So uh, again, great point. Yes, sir. And so one another question I really want to ask you. Well, first I'll go back to this. You you, you mentioned about people listening from Texas. I will say that 
most of my a good 50%, a little bit more than 50, it's like 52% last time I checked of my listeners are from Texas. For some reason, just as soon as I started this, like Texas just instantly was like uh, super on board. So it's kind of spread in Texas <laughs> pretty, pretty good. So the 8,000 monthly listeners that we got right now, a, a good 4,000 is some change are from Texas. Well, awesome, man. That's, that's cool. Uh, what's up guys. <laughs> and I apologize if there's loud noise going right now, I'm burning the roads and it's wet. So stuff's kicking up. Um, but there, this time of year, I like, yeah, it's, it's four sixteen Texas time. So like, no, it's not necessarily the, you know, it's, 68 degrees outside so the birds aren't feeding the birds that we have and I, but i'm just i'm out I'm, I'm excited i'm trying to find something new and you know always try to up my game you know as much as i can by studying the studying the land studying the water no you're working man and that's that's uh, a lot to be learned from you doing stuff like this all the time yes sir Another thing I want to ask you. So I, I haven't actually been able to hunt sandhill cranes yet. It's it's on my list. Uh, I've been, you know, contemplating doing it for the last, I'd say, six years now. Uh, I've got to see a, a lot of uh, great feeds. And, you know, that time's coming where I get out there and chase some sandhills. But is it really the ribeye of the sky, man? So great question. I get this one all the time. You'll have your people that are, yeah, it is 100%. And then you have your people that's like, ah, I don't like you know, I, I don't really like eating waterfowl. I, what we call it, we call it the sore and sirloin because it doesn't have the fat content of a ribeye, but definitely has a good flavor, in my opinion. I'm not a giant gamey person. Like, I'm not a giant duck eater, but crane, I love crane. It's, it's great. If you slap it on the grill with just salt and pepper, it tastes great. If you fry it, obviously anything tastes good fried for the most part, but it's really good fried. Uh, that's pretty, we do that every Thanksgiving. We, uh, we fry a turkey, uh, for me and all the guys are, you know, our ladies and whatnot. And then we also, uh, you know, fry a bunch of sandhill crane deep fried and we, we have it every which way. I mean, you know, obviously we're shooting cranes six to seven days a week. So we have a surplus of crane meat. And with that being said, you know, we cook stir fry, we cook cook it every which way chicken fried rice it's it's awesome i I highly recommend it and so how long have you been doing this with dirty texas or or, you know is this something that you stood up or uh something you kind of came into with dirty texas how long have you been hunting overall and how long have you been guiding uh and how long has texas been an outfitter yeah so i uh i've been hunting my entire life for the most part uh, grew up in a family of quail hunters. By no means, I grew up in a family of waterfowl hunters. My dad hates being wet and hates being cold. So <laughs> I never went doing that. My granddad took me to hop some stock tanks on some of the property, you know, way back when. But that's pretty much kind of like the gist of that. Really, I remember it kind of all dialed into like, uh, we'll say it was. Oh, I remember, it, I'm trying to remember the, the I'm sorry, I, just, I found a big group of cranes, so I kind of lost my words. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, uh, long time ago, I, it was when I was in high school, I want to say probably, it might it might even have been like my uh, my eighth grade year before I went to high school. My buddy, 
he lived right next to some public land in North Texas, and there was an ad in the, like a little paper thing of all deals for Bass Pro, and they had like a dozen pre-rigged. I can't remember what the brand the brand was, but it was the Bass Pro brand back then, and we we got a couple dozen of them a piece man we started hunting and i was like dude this is awesome like this is so much fun and basically i just kind of you know would take me and i had a german short hair pointer by no means was you know like a duck dog but he'd go sit there and i had him tied to me and we'd go burn down public land and we might shoot two ducks a week but i had a blast doing that and it was a really good time so that's kind of what got me into it and you know uh Luckily, we have some family land uh, in West Texas that I was able to, you know, learn how to kind of duck on my own trial and error, that in public land. And uh, basically was like, you know what, when I go to college, I was, was like, I'm going to start my own deal. And, you know, looking back now, every college kid that starts up an outfitter, I just kind of shake my head because, you know, they're a lot of them start up and don't go anywhere, but they kind of get under your skin for a couple of years. But I had to like step back and say, you know what? You were that guy. Don't be the pot calling the kettle black. Cause you were a kid once you were starting your thing once. So give them some grace. And, uh, I started back in 2015 when, uh, I went to Texas tech and really did it, you know, pretty much ran only weekends. Cause I was in school, did that for a couple of years till I graduated in 2017 and then uh, just between work and things, I wasn't able to really do it full time. So I started working for a, a couple different outfit or I worked for uh, full throttle outfitters out of the Lubbock or out of the Rawls, Texas area uh, back when Nathan Duniger was running it. And uh, Nate taught me a lot. That guy, uh, there's not a whole lot of people that can kill ducks in a field in West Texas because we don't get the weather, but that guy can kill ducks in West Texas. And I learned a lot from him uh did that for a year went uh went and learned from final sin outfitters with red overman and some of those guys and then i also worked for brent falch which was one of my best buddy buddies and r.i.p to him he uh was the owner of premier sandhills uh was, wasn't around too terribly long unfortunately brent lost the battle to cancer and uh has since gone to heaven um so he's no longer with us, but Brent taught me most of what I know about crane hunting and we, we were buddies and he did his own thing. He actually, for those that don't know and are familiar with final descent guide service, he and Jeremy were actually the ones that started that years ago. And I know I'm kind of getting off a tangent, but, um, I learned from a lot of people, my man. And I even at one point said, you know what, I'm hanging up kind of the outfitting deal. Like it's, you know, it's not really much money in it when you know if you're not all the way in and basically about four years ago I was like you know what I can't take corporate America anymore even though I basically fresh out of college-ish and I was like I'm gonna do this and I basically worked it up from doing some weekend stuff all the way up to now where like I said we run seven days a week most weeks and we're only off a couple days you know a season and I've got a full team of five guys that work underneath me um which we should come back and talk to this i hire all my guys out of state i love to kind of go into that but really uh that's that's kind of the story of dirty texas outfitters and man it's 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 a grind and we absolutely love it here
I really appreciate you sharing all of that, man. That again, a lot to unpack there, but it's 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 way better to have somebody like you that's that's got a lot of knowledge and you know that's not timid about sharing uh, any of this information because that's that's why we're doing this, right? Is is to make sure everybody gets as much information as they can out of this. So I appreciate it. Um, yes, sir. And, and one thing I'd really like to touch on is is your guy Brent um, and, and kind of teaching everything you need or teaching you everything you know about crane hunting. Uh, a lot of what this generation coming up into waterfowl is missing is that mentor. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's probably safe to say, it, you know, without someone, a mentor like that, you might not even be in this position you're in right now. And uh, th that's one thing I'd like everybody to take away from that is just, you know, find a mentor, uh, somebody that's willing to teach you, learn from them. Don't be ashamed to ask questions. And, and, and that's how overall you're going to get a better experience out of it. Yeah. Of course, man. One of like one of the things that kind of irks me the most is people always, you know, have their like, and I, I don't know, it, and it's partly partially my generation too. I'm I'm technically a millennial. Is everybody's got their handouts? Like, hey, give me, give me, give me. Let me have this. I want this, but they don't want to put in the work for it. And I, you know, I like I, said, I started up my own thing without, you know, I I had relatively learned how to hunt ducks. Was I, you know, the straight killer? No, but I could, I could kill a few ducks. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, I think it would have been way better if I would have gone and worked with somebody first and, and you know, learned things and, and found out the correct way to do it. I didn't. I did trial and error. And, yeah, and we got our teeth kicked in a lot of the days, but we also had, you know, some really good times. You know, you live and you learn. But one thing I will say is, if you want to hunt and you're interested in getting into the hunting industry, there's outfitters everywhere, especially in the state of Texas. I'm preaching for an outfitting license, a guide license. I, I'm screaming that on top of every hill because there's just too many of us. But, you know, that's a, that's a battle I can't fight right now. But and what I'm getting at is reach out to a local outfitter. If you want to learn, call him and say, hey, I've got a truck. I'll be there. What can I do to help? I don't want, you know... I'm not here to get pay, you know, maybe work for tips. Ask if you can take a little bit of tips or ask maybe if you can have a little bit of gas money, but you can sit there, you can learn the ropes, you can figure out what's going on. And uh big thing is don't try to undercut an outfitter. That The most annoying thing is, is, you know, it, it no, I, we don't own most of the land we hunt. We lease a lot of it, but a very upsetting thing is when you take a client out hunting or, a friend or something and then they try to start up an outfit or lease land out from underneath you like the next year just you know pay it forward and always try to respect who takes you and just be willing to learn that that's that's a big thing that i'd say absolutely i agree 100 percent. and i think uh the waterfowl kind of industry as a whole i think that whole outfitter guide topics uh, it can be a, a thorn in the side at times and not one that everybody is comfortable or ready to have and you know i, I do a lot of, of public chasing myself a lot of freelancing i've gone with guides in areas where you absolutely have to have a guide like a real foot lake or a catahoula lake something like that because yeah. i don't want to i don't want to go out there and get shot if i'm being honest um, yes, but also you know i want to be respectful I, my problem that i take up with uh with, with outfitting or guiding it has nothing to do with a lot of these outfits that are going right now. I know you spoke about the college thing and, and I would say 
there, there's some guys out there that just don't need to be guiding. I mean, I get it. You, you like to hunt. You want to, you, it might be, it might sound like a great job to be able to take people hunting. But I know a lot of guides and outfitters that I've heard horror stories aren't willing to put in the work like you're doing right now out there scouting. Um, and, and you know, you, you see this as your livelihood. So I respect that. But my, my big problem is a lot of these, uh, I'll call them influencers, uh, these YouTube guys. Um, you know, these are guys, in my opinion, that shouldn't be outfitting. Uh, there, there's there's one big one I, I've watched on YouTube. I saw his video. He's a he's probably the biggest or the second biggest. He's up there, and he was taking a guide out, and the guide and one of the clients actually harvested a banded pintail with him, but he wouldn't give him the bird. He kept it because uh, he wanted to hang it in their outfitting lodge, and that uh man, that just that ticked me off. Yeah, I man, you you hit the nail on the head there. It's I feel like if you want to stir the pot, you could just go on any Facebook page and just type in, what are your thoughts on outfitters? There'd be a million comments on it. Good, bad, all over the place. Yeah, outfitters give themselves a bad rap uh, and, and things like that. that that's, that's a thing that i very stern with my guys that are working. We all run dogs, so our the birds come back to us. Now, if we have a big volley, big rain out, things like that, yes, we'll all go out, you know, everybody unload their guns, we'll safely go pick up birds. But we get the most of the birds back. I, to this day, have never shot a banded Sanho crane, and, and we've killed thousands of them between me and, and, and my clients in my lifetime. And, you know, it's I, I'm dreaming of that day. But, it you know, even if we do shoot one, I'm not under the table in it. That client you know, potentially came from Maine or, or North Carolina or Michigan, wherever, and paid good money for their – he took the time off from their jobs to come down there to get an experience, and that's part of the experience. So I'm not going to take that away from them. But kind of, you know, back to, to the guide aspect of it, there's – man, there's a lot of borderline criminals in this industry that are straight up crooks on one end and then just unethical – poachers on another end um i'm not going to mention any names man and, and i'm not going to mention what one person did but we'll just say there's one person in my particular area that's no longer going to be allowed to be around a firearm in the next six months but is still booking hunts like it's nobody's business if that makes sense and uh i don't think that's right they were caught trespassing uh and hunting on somebody else's land and were arrested. So it's just, you know, it, it's, it's not okay. And then there's also these people and, you know, the startups and everything that book these people undercut the price and it's still good money, whether you're charging, you know, $250 for a hunt or $500 for a hunt, you know, a morning hunt. And they take people out and they only have two or three fields and there hadn't been a bird on it in three weeks. That's, that's not okay. And I can't sleep at night knowing that my customers don't have a fair chance at birds. Like, I'm going to have shingles by the time I'm 35 for sure because I just stress nonstop about making sure that our customers have the most fair chance possible at harvesting their limited birds or having the experience, you know. Obviously, they're coming to kill birds, but also making their experience more than just, a, hey, get in the blind, shut up, shoot your birds, let me clean your birds, you go home. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's it, again, it's a touchy thing and you know, we don't, we don't want to stir the pot too much, but no, I'm, I'm with you, man. And, and I understand it.
But uh, I think one thing you wanted to go back to, you said that you hire most of your guides out of state. Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, I hire, and I'll never forget this day. Um, a guy that, you know, I hadn't really said too much, too many words to, he, he runs, I don't, he ran for a company called Blackfoot in Lubbock years ago. And it was when I was in college. His name's Matt Herman. Uh, don't know the guy really from Adam. Uh, seems like a pretty decent dude. He runs his own outfit in Canada, I believe. Um, but anyways, he told me, he's like, yeah, he, uh, he was working for them, but he's like, we only, we only hire out of, out of state. And I was like, man, that's stupid. Like I'm trying to get a job, you know, I'm trying to learn. And, uh, looking back, maturing a little bit, I completely understand it because I've had so many people kind of undercut me and stuff or try to start up little outfitting businesses, you know, next to me or something. Cause they, they worked for me. They were local and you know, they learned how to do it. They got some money. They bought decoys, kind of that whole you know, simulation, if that makes sense. And, uh, so now, man, I don't, I don't chance it really. Um, and nothing against local people. There's, there's a lot of good local people, but I hire all my guys out of state. There's, uh, less drama. If I'll, I'll put it that way, you know, you're not sitting there where you're, Oh, well, my girlfriend's being, you know, cranky or something. She, she's here, you know, I got to go see her. No, it's, you're here for, X amount of time we're killing every day we're working and uh it's just it's like a brotherly vibe if that makes sense it's 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 less drama and uh no strings attached sort of deal if that makes sense you're not you're not worrying about what else is going on back home per se no i'm tracking 100 percent, man it uh it, it kind of the way you described it reminds me a little bit like uh i, I was in the military so it reminds me a little bit like basic training like we're from all over where we're embracing the, the the grind and the suck of it all together. Uh, we're there to work. We're there to get something done. So, you know what I mean? For eight weeks of or eight and a half weeks, however long uh, basic was, I can't even remember these days, but <laughs> yeah, but, um, but you know, for as long as the season is, as long as they're out there working, yeah, it's a similar thing. I can understand that completely. Yeah. It's, and like I said, it, it, it that might've kind of come off like, you know, I'm trying to put this in words that are nice words, but like a kind of crabby ish or, you know, just not nice, but like it, it has nothing to do with people around my area. Cause I love Texas, man. I'd never, this is the best state ever. It's a country basically, you know, but uh, it's just com coming down to a business point of view, strictly business. It, it, it works better. And um, most, most outfitting services, I'd say the bigger ones, not saying that we're a giant one cause we're not a giant fish, we're working our way up, but they, they hire a lot of out of state people. One, one guy I'll throw out there who's one of the best killers I know is Hunter Pickett. Well, Hunter works for, you know, multiple different outfitters. He's from Colorado, starts his way up in uh, Saskatchewan, comes to Texas. Then he goes back up to Saskatchewan for snow geese, but like just a straight killer, you know, and, and that guy's not from Texas. There's all the dramas left at home and he's there to do his job. He does it really well and uh it just works out you know yeah absolutely no i don't it, it, at least to me uh, i i maybe listeners will have a different opinion but uh, the way I, you explained it man it, it sounds just more like it's business that's that's all it is what it comes down to better business means you know better opportunity or better experience for the client so i don't think it was crabby at all brother okay well cool deal <laughs> So if you had a preference between, I, I know you guys, your bread and butter is, is Sand Hill, 
do you prefer the cranes do you are you partial to to duck hunting what do you prefer that's that's a good question there's there's in my opinion there's nothing that beats a green bean in a dry field uh just getting back from canada man i had never been up to canada i freelanced it i drove 27 hours from my front door with just my dogs i couldn't get you know anybody else to go with me uh i met a few guys up there hunted with them a little bit and then did my own thing but uh man i i will say that that hunting ducks in a field's probably my favorite thing to do which i think most people will say that that's their favorite thing to do and i guess it's probably because we don't get to do it that much you know so it's really special when we do get to target those birds in the field um but there's there's also for for the most part my favorite thing is being able to fully commit a bird if that makes sense not shooting birds at 60 yards and while they're flaring it's it's birds feet down in the decoys you know chest out ready to get shot and uh i'm not trying to sound cocky but i'm i'm pretty decent at shooting cranes that way and and uh and that's kind of what it kind of what gets me going i i feel like i never stop hearing that crane whatever you want to call it the noise the yodel like whatever that is whatever you want to call it I just can't stop hearing it. It's like always in my head and I'll be sitting outside and be like, does you hear some cranes? I'd be like, no, dude, it's June. You didn't hear cranes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can, uh, I can remember my first time hearing it. I wasn't, I wasn't even hunting. I was doing a, a solar farm project out in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. And then I hear the, and I look up in the sky and it's like pterodactyls. I'm like, what in the world is going on right now? What are these things? Yeah, they're, they're crazy. They're so different, and they're they We could have we could have a six hour long podcast just talking about like crane and how they're different and and things of that sort. But like, and, and the way the state of Texas sees them is they're considered like they're not even considered a waterfowl. They're considered an upland game bird. You can shoot them with lead. Like it's they, they're they're so different, but also the same same but different but still same like <laughs> a crane like people are like oh the crane swim i'm like if you see a crane swimming something's wrong like that thing was wounded or got shot or something like cranes don't swim they've got long like turkey like legs with little three feet or toes whatever talons and uh they like if, if a duck or a goose is migrating or whatever like they're gonna fly straight from food to water, water to food, you know, and vice versa. A crane, they'll fly in the morning, they'll fly from water to a field, they'll eat, and then they'll be able to go to a cow pasture or a cotton field or something that has no grain in it at all or water whatsoever and pick grubs and rocks for the rest of the day. Like, that's very common. That's why we don't hunt cranes in the afternoon. A lot of people do. I'm... I'm not a fan of it. In my opinion, people are just taking money uh, because a lot of times you're going to show up to a crane field, even if it's one o'clock or three o'clock in the afternoon when the days are shorter and the birds are still going to be in the field. Cranes just don't act like a duck or a goose and they're a little different. And it, it takes a lot of studying to figure them out. Another thing is if you, if you hunt a crane, you know what I'm talking about, or you can find videos I'm sure on YouTube or somewhere when cranes migrate, or just want to rest 
they'll just do this like circle. They'll just ride the thermals and they'll just get higher and higher and they'll just ride and they just take a break. It's, been, it's, it's a lot of the time what you see, like if you see them migrating in and migrating out, or even sometimes they'll just do that to take a break and not have to go touch the ground because they're such weary birds. But it, it's really interesting and uh, there's, there's a whole lot of different aspects and you honestly, you, you don't hunt them like you would per se a duck or a goose necessarily, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I think, uh, you know, it, it's similar. Everybody just automatically compares it because of, uh, you know, you're getting in a field and, and you're shooting some birds in the sky. A dog goes out there and picks them up. But I, I, it's it's obviously very different. I mean, from the way they look to how big they are to, you know, how you call them in, how you work them, et cetera. But, you know, I think one thing that everybody's always noticed uh, that kind of differentiates duck hunting in a field versus, you know, when you're watching videos versus crane hunting is how you outfit the dog with the goggles and making sure they're protected. So one question I wanted to ask when, when I noticed you were all about the crane hunting, when you first uh, responded to that video I put out is, you know, is that, is that kind of goggles and the safety for the dog? Is that super critical? And have you ever seen a dog get wounded by a crane? Uh, I, I mean, this is totally from my point of view. I can't speak for, for other people that might've had a dog injured or something. I run rec specs on mine uh, almost all the time. Now I'll, I'll go into that in a second, but I have yet I have yet to see any significant injury to a dog. Now everybody knows somebody's cousin's friend's aunt or uncle that you know at least in my area that had the dog pecked in the side of the rib cage and died from a crane. I feel like I hear that story all the time. I will say I've never had any issue with that. Don't, don't get me wrong. Does it, can a crane mess up a dog? Yes, 100%. And people most of the time think it's their beaks that are going to be the real hard part about a crane. It's, it's really not their beaks. Yes, they do have a big, sharp one. It's their talons, man. Their talons are razor sharp. I've got scars all up and down my arms from us shooting birds, my dog bringing one back. And, you know, half the time they're crippled because, hell, they got a six, you know, a, six foot wingspan so a lot of the times you're breaking you're breaking a wing you're not per se killing them fully so like your dog's bringing you back a cripple and they uh you know they'll scratch you they'll claw the crud out of you and i even have i didn't take a picture of it but this past season my dog had a, a talon toenail that completely broke off the crane stuck in his eyelid it had lifted it was one foot had pushed up his rec specs off his face and the other crane's foot had gotten inside like his almost in his eye uh didn't didn't do anything to the dog it almost did you know and uh he's a tough dog so he you know just it didn't phase him but you know what i'm saying it can definitely be a little dangerous i do know of a guy uh up in the lubbock area that went to go kick a crane in the head that was a cripple and uh, I don't know if he missed where he was kicking or whatever, but the crane's beak went in his shin or in his foot and like all the way through. And he had to go to the hospital. Like it was, it was, it was a bad deal. Uh, but as far as dogs go, not, not really. I, I, we run them for safety reasons, but if I can kind of go on a little side note about, I have a very high drive dog. If, uh, you know, if that makes sense, like he's, He's not a one that's going to like jog out there and then like 
kind of lazily jog back. He's he's full speed. He's running a hundred miles an hour until he hits that bird, and he's running a hundred mile an hour back to me. So a big kind of problem that I have with goggles is that we're in a very dusty area. When he hits a crane, you know the first first crane in the morning or whatever, he hits them hard, and you know it's it's action packed. A lot of dust flies up in his face and gets inside his goggles. And then he's breathing so heavy, his body temperature is way warmer than it is outside. So it builds up that condensation and kind of puts almost like a little layer of mud or something, you know, a little tar layer on the inside. And uh, he has a, he has a hard time seeing. And I remember like the first time I ever like dealt with it, I was like, what is my dog doing? Like, he is not listening. He can't like, what is, what is happening? I was like, here. And, you know, he's trained here. He'll sit. And I tell him here, and he just runs past me. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, are you okay? And I took his goggles off, and he couldn't see. And I was like, all right, well, that makes sense why you couldn't cast or anything, you know. But uh, I, I, you have to change the lenses out. They get scratched a bunch. Uh, but definitely will say I would recommend using them if you have a dog. Uh, a lot of dogs don't like to get cranes. Recommend you dog force fetched if you're hunting cranes and definitely wear a good set of goggles just to protect their eyes and, you know, their facial areas. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I just always see the dog. I think it looks pretty cool to see a dog with the, with the goggles on and everything. But, uh, yeah, I just was curious if there was, you know, of course there's a reason behind it, right? People worry about it, but like yours having the, uh, actual claw or the talon stuck so close to his eye makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, and, and real quick, I like we're, my one of my new trailers is getting wrapped like tomorrow, and it's uh, I can send you the picture. It's getting wrapped, and there's a picture of my dog bringing a crane back without his his, his goggles on. I will say when my dog doesn't have like if if we're wrapping up the hunt or maybe we're a few birds short or something, and I'm packing up my blind bag or something, I take him off, I take his shot collar off, I put it in my bag, and there's you know another bird that comes in or something and and we shoot it, it it looks dead, but it ends up being a cripple, and it starts to get after him. I will say it's it's very nerve-wracking because my dog is a big investment. You know, like it's – I suit up every day. You know, like if, if you work in a high-rise or in a corporate job, you wear your suit to work. Like my dog wears his goggles. That's his suit. He wears his goggles, and his, I call him his hearing aid, his shot collar. And uh, without those, man, it, it gets nervous because – I've got 15, 20 grand invested in my lab and between training and everything. And like, it would really suck to see an eye lost, you know, just for a little bit of arrogance on my part, you know, you know what I'm saying there. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's a uh, dog's a big investment one. And I don't know if yours are strictly working dogs, but also uh, my dogs, I, I train labs as well. Um, bird dogs. And, you know, I've got five at home and, they're literally all of them are my best friend. I couldn't imagine yeah, having something like that happen out in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Labs. I mean, labs are a different breed, man. I, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge lab fan just because there's so much. Uh, mine, mine, don't get me wrong. He sleeps in bed with us. Like he's, he's the full package. He's going to lick your ear off. Uh, but I grew up in a family of, of, of upland dogs and short hairs and setters and pointers. They like, they're interested in you, but they want their space. And, you know, getting labs and everything when I was, you know, starting out was, is different because 
oh my, there's a sheet water widgeon feed in a wheel in wheat right now. Uh, that was cool. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just got sidetracked again. But uh, yeah, I love to hear it. Don't worry about it. I love to hear it. It gets me excited. <laughs> well, there's a sunflower field that they shredded, and the terraces are flooded. And uh, it's got like probably about 150 little bulb paints sitting in it. That was cool. Um, but yeah, man, I totally forgot where what I was even saying. Sorry, I'm sorry. You're talking about labs and why you don't run labs. And yeah, no, no, labs labs are great. And uh, I I keep saying the next dog I, I'm gonna get is gonna be a standard poodle. And you know, I, if, if y'all watched Duck Dynasty or stuff a while ago, like you know, Cy Robertson had his poodle. But, man, I think there'd be nothing cooler than seeing an all-white, full-standard poodle bringing back a giant gray crane with blood everywhere. You know, just the white <laughs> body with the, you know, you know what I'm saying. I think that'd be cool. It's something that nobody else is doing, and, you know, somebody might do it after the podcast. It is what it is, but I, I think it'd be cool and uh, just trying to change it up, you know, and do something a little different. Yeah, man, and those poodles are good dogs. We were just at a hunt test a couple weeks back, and there was a couple poodles that that put some of those labs to shame. Really, that's 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 interesting. That's really yeah, cool. Man. They uh, they're a great working dog, and like so, labs are always. I mean, you get your high motor dogs; they're always pretty good about going out. Your goldens are always slow at these hunt tests, and um, you know your Chesapeakes are pretty similar to a lab, but uh, dude, the poodles, it's like you're worried about if they're going to be slow like the golden or they're going to be too prancy, but they get after it, man. Yeah, that's I mean, I could just picture like a full white one that's got like a prissy dog haircut, you know, <laughs> or like you get a cut to look like a lion, got like a mane looking thing. I think that'd be really, really <laughs> cool. People oh, be like, oh, I know the, yeah, yeah, people be like, I know that outfitter because he's the one that's got the poodle you know yeah that would be hilarious man <laughs> i could i could oh, kind of picture it right now stay tuned my lab's young right now the one i've got but if anything happens that's what that's what i'm going to next yeah we'll definitely keep a lookout for it whenever i see a picture of a poodle puppy i'll know what's coming <laughs> heck yeah <laughs> But, man, doing what you do as an outfitter, I know there's a lot of work that goes into it. I mean, you're working right now, um, you know, going around checking for you know, defined feeds. and. But what what do you think is probably the most joyful thing about what you do? The most joyful thing out of what I do, I'd, I'd say, and I, I, this is like all seriousness, is it's getting somebody new into hunting. Uh, this weekend I have a youth deer hunter in from uh, – it's from a youth class in North Dallas that I took when I was in middle school. It's, it's a really cool class. It's called outdoor trails and it's, it's basically like an ag class. Um, but you like get your, your, you get your, I got certified to scuba dive. You get all these different things, your hunter's ed, your boater's ed, you just get so many different things. Um, and it's, this class is kind of in, it's in an area where people are real city folk like if that makes sense they don't necessarily get the opportunity to experience the wild or like not the wild but like outdoors and and conservation and things and i went through that class i remember that that played a big big part and you know me wanting to to hunt and guide and things like that in the future and the most that i get enjoyment out is taking somebody new and seeing them who, who put down the video game controller and was able to go out and shoot their first crane, duck, quail, goose, 
pheasant, turkey, whatever it is, and just see that fulfillment in their eyes. It's like a void that they had they didn't know they have, and it lights that fire. Because I was that kid once, and, you know, like somebody took a chance on me, and now I've spent way too much money on all the crap that I have. But in theory, a lot of it goes back to conservation or other hunters and outdoor businesses that, that help out with, uh, you know, conservation and really making this for something that's past mine and your generations uh, to know that this will be something for my kids and your kids to experience, you know, down the line. That's what I get the most enjoyment out of. Beautifully put, man. That's, that's exactly what it's all about. You know, even to hear somebody that does this for a living where money's on the line, um, it's not just out there chasing it for their own enjoyment. It's awesome to hear somebody with that perspective. Yeah. And now don't get me wrong. It's not sunshine and rainbows all days. Cause I will say, you know, running youth and people that don't know what they're doing is very frustrating a lot of the time because, it, you know, they can be in the way they don't know what they're doing. People show up with like tactical shotguns with nag extensions on them. Like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> like, you know, but it, it, at the end of the day, that to me, that that's, that's what it's all about. And that's what makes me happy. That's awesome. Yeah, those guys coming with the tactical shotguns ready to go to war for some cranes. I like it. A little, little side story. We were hunting uh we were hunting a place on some of my like my, my family's land probably two years ago. And where this place is, you can't like it's if it rains, you can't get like there's you're not getting to it in a vehicle. Even a side by side. Like it's the the mud is just terrible. And we we get to the blacktop and it's it's every bit of a mile walk in. And I had a youth group and man, I didn't, I was like, there, they came all the way here. I'm not, you know, I can't be like, Hey, you know, let's just not hunt today or something. Or, you know, I was like, they here, they need the experience. So we, we trudge a mile in and waiters and I'm sure they're absolutely hating it. We get there a mile, a little over a mile in to the, to the tank we're hunting. And I see this guy pulls out a tactical shotgun out of his deal with no plug and like a 16 inch barrel i'm like you did not and i didn't bring a gun that hunt because it was i just i didn't and i had to walk back a mile to my truck and waiters grab another gun out of my truck <laughs> give it to them i was i was so stressed out i was like oh you know and like luckily i had a, a guide there with me but like the birds were flying and everything so they had to sit out for a minute but you just you never know what you're gonna get different every day that's probably one of the biggest things about you know waterfowl hunting especially freelancing on public land ourselves man whatever can go wrong is going to go wrong and it's going to be way harder than you thought it was going to be you know you plan to to even if you scout and you have everything set up the night before you're like all right we're going to wake up we're going to get out there it's going to be a quick hunt it something always happens i can only imagine that it's magnified a hundred times when you're doing what you're doing <laughs> it it's like I said, it's not sunshine and rainbows every day. Um, it, it's most of the time it's, it's pretty good. Uh, you there's just, there's so many different variables. Like anyone to understand, you could get some guys that, that eat it up. Like don't say two words, but have a great time. You get some people that you have a slower hunt. They're going to trash you. They're going to bash you. Um, like you just never, you never, it, it's hunting. It's not killing. 
it's we are hunting wild birds i can't make these birds go from point a to point b every day like they're going to do whatever they want to do if it's been 60 degrees for five days straight and then the next we have a cold front come through and they've been on wheat for the last five days and it drops a high to 40 and they go to corn i can't control that you know like that happens from time to time but you can bet we're going to do everything to do it you know <laughs> the being in the service industry, somebody's going to gripe and complain about anything, you know, anything can, that, that you can complain about will be complained about. As a, can you hear me? Yeah, man, I got you. Oh, okay. Oh, and like this, this hadn't happened much, but I, I had a group last year and this, this one didn't sit well with me is one of our, A bird. three cranes a day in in our part of texas which i think is pretty much the most liberal in all of the u.s i mean she i had never seen more ungrateful men than that day they were very upset because they didn't feel like they got their money's worth and were able to hunt long enough. And I was like, man, you know what? I apologize that you feel that way, but this is something that doesn't happen every day or at least this fast. And this is something that many people would, you know, really enjoy do this anytime. And it's just like something like that doesn't sit well with me. Man, you know? I feel like that's that's almost ungrateful speak for, hey, I want you to let us sit out here longer and shoot over our limit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, gee, we can open up another can of worms about, hey, man, do I get to shoot your limit? No, no, you don't get to shoot my limit because my limit is my limit. And uh, that's that's a that's a thing. It, it's it's a touchy subject because I understand you're paying a lot of money. You're coming from, you know, you can be coming from the town over, you can be coming from across the country and you know, you want to shoot more birds. I understand that, but legally I can't and will not allow you to shoot my limit of birds. I hope there's no hard feelings about that, but that's the law and I'm not going to jeopardize my business or my guides, you know, for you to shoot a couple extra birds. No, completely yep. understandable, man. I, I get I get a position a guide can be in like that, um, you know, wanting to satisfy a client, especially one that, that would be as greedy as to ask something like that. Um, and, you know, and, and that could be a tough position to be in. But at the same time, if, even if we're just out there, no guide, we're freelancing, doing it ourselves, we got to do it within the law. We got to keep everything yeah. lawful and, and do it legally. And, and no, I'm with you 100%. You should be doing your job. This is your livelihood. I wouldn't jeopardize that at all. Yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, I understand where they're coming from, but just it, it can't happen. So out there with uh, your business specifically, do you have a lodge that guests can come stay in as well? Yes, sir, we do. And if people are listening to this, you want to check it out. It's it's actually a really nice, well, I mean, I'm biased. I think it's a really pretty nice lodge for our area. It's uh it's a barn dominium style on one of our uh, lakes out here, which few and far between. There's not a whole lot of water in West Texas, like actual, like, you know, recreational lakes. Uh, it's a fishing only lake. So that's cool. You don't have a whole lot of boating traffic. You can fish it 
but it's uh, it's got every amenity you'd want: commercial grade kitchen, uh, full entertainment, crafts table, pool table, massage table, like everything you'd want, like every kind of cooker, flat top, griddle, smoker, pellet smoker, you know, everything you'd want, we've got it, and uh, and it's 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 a great place to entertain everybody for the most part. Loves it. I haven't had any complaints so far. Um, the only thing it just kind of, I guess, would be a downside is we don't provide meals for our hunts um, at this time. Um, it's something we're looking to do in the future. But, yes, we do have a lodge, and you can check it out on our website at DirtyTexasOutfitters.com. Yeah, what kind of packages are you offering? Do you have, like, a combo duck-crane, straight-up duck, straight-up crane? Yeah, we, we, we pretty much do it every which way under the sun we're looking to probably next year go to three day like if you're booking a hunt you're going to do a three-day package um whether that's just you want to do your morning crane hunts you know for three days and that'd be it we're really big like i said we're not in your traditional area we have a lot of uh wild hogs so we're really big on a more morning sandhill crane hunt and then a nighttime thermal hog hunt we do that a lot and it like that's that's uh, that's our most common package and people love it because uh, you know if you're not from texas hogs are a nuisance you're shooting them with ther- suppressed thermal ars you know that's everything all ammunitions included all you got to do is show up with clothes and you know adequate stuff for the weather and you're good to go uh but we have this place it's called the feedlot well it is a feedlot it's not called the feedlot it is a feedlot and uh and I'll say, like, when it, it's next to a kind of a, a valley or ravine-ish sort of deal, and on the other side, the feedlot, well, it's kind of stair steps to it, and there's uh, some lagoons, and there's a little, like, tank dam. Well, what we'll do is at nighttime, we'll walk the lagoon road on the tank dam and get between the hogs that come out of the ravine, and they feed in the cattle troughs with the cows. And we'll get up there and, you know, shoot in a safe direction away from the cows. Like, we'll get a sounder that rolls through and we'll shoot at the sounder. Well, once you do that, all the pigs start flooding out of the feedlot. And, dude, it's like, it, you have to defend yourself sometimes because they're, like, brushing past your legs. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I can, uh, man, that'd be a, a crazy package to come out there and experience, you know, do a three-day thing. Sand hill in the morning, hog at night, maybe duck the next morning, hog again. Yeah. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, it, it is. And we do, we do, like I said, we do more than that. We, we do, uh, you know, crane quail hunts. We do, you know, if you want to do a quail, morning quail, afternoon duck, or vice versa. Um, we have deer hunting. Uh, we, it's all whitetail where we're at. Um, we even, uh, not directly where we're at here, but we offer all that. Uh, which is a Barbary sheep hunt, uh, axis deer hunts, black buck hunts. So we, we, we offer a really wide variety of things to give every different outdoorsman just different, you know, opportunities. Like, hey, if you're not, you know, a bird guy, we have your, your quote-unquote big game. Um, you know, and just kind of everything under the sun. If you're more of an upland guy, we have wild blue quail. We have wild bob whites. We do supplement with pin-raised quail just because our numbers have been down, but you'll get into wild birds and you'll make sure that you see birds with, uh, you know, your pen raised birds. So anything you want to do and can hunt, 
whether even if that's like uh, you want to shoot predators, you want to go after coyotes with thermals, we do it all. So it's it, pretty much anything that's legal to hunt in Texas, we're going to do it. Man, I know, uh, yeah, I know. You know some of the species you get on is a, are migratory species with the cranes and the ducks and stuff like that. But uh, what is your hot time of the year? What do you think is like the go-to time for that guests would try to be out there, like if they could pick the perfect time? I don't know why it's this specific date, but it seems like December 8th. I don't know what it is about that day. Any from Thanksgiving to like the 10th, 15th of December, that's, that's like the prime time. We, we seem to always just see the birds are there in full force. This past year, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I had two 12-man groups, and we, we, we double book every weekend. And uh, we, were, we were hunting, and we got a bunch of rain, which for November was really weird. And, it, and when it rains, we can't get into a lot of our fields. Now we have a side-by-side and stuff, and we can get into most of them. But it just it wasn't feasible for the feeds we have and everything this, this past year. And so we had to run – 24 guys together which i normally never do like i want to get that straight like that's way too many guys in a blind there's too many things that can go wrong but that's how the cards were dealt we had to play the the best hand that we could and uh man we shot both that saturday and that sunday we shot a 25 man in like an hour and then the second the second day we shot a 27 man in like an hour and a half it was it was insane for for cranes it was it was nuts and uh, that was the most, you know, that we had ever gone for at one time. Cause normally we like to keep it that eight to 12 range. And, uh, it was, it was something special, but that it's that late November, early December time. And your guides are, well, I mean, you guys do a little bit of everything as far as hunting. Do you have guides that are, um, you know, specific to one kind of hunting that are maybe specialists in this certain area? Or are they yep. all your guides pretty much jacks of all trades? Yeah, we, we definitely have uh, specific, you know, for the most part, like I have two quote unquote guides, like they, they're crane and duck guys. Like that's, that's what they do now. The, everybody scouts. You don't, just cause you're a guide doesn't mean you don't scout. Like we rotated, I've got, two guys that are full like that that is their guide position so they run a majority of the hunts with me and then i have two full-time scouts and then i have one full-time big game slash thermal guy like so he does all of our deer hunts all of our uh thermal hunts things like that because i mean you can understand and anybody listening to this when you wake up at four o'clock to go shoot cranes you know you come back at 9 30 10 11 o'clock you clean your birds by the time you get done eating lunch or having to go pay farmers, it's two or three o'clock. It's time to go back out and scout that afternoon. And then by the time you get back, it's dark and you're it's time to go, you know, thermal hunting. Well, nobody wants to do that after you've been up for, you know, like so many hours. So that's, we've evolved. We, I hired guys, you know, that, that that's, that's his full-time thing, man. He pretty much has an opposite schedule of us. He sleeps during the day and he's out at night and, uh, it seems to really work that way. I do all the quail hunts myself with me and my dogs. Uh, so I'm the quail guy. And then my, you know, we have other guys that are, like I said, specific for waterfowl and scouting. It sounds like you've got it set up right, man. I, 
you know, on paper it's set up right. Now, whether it works all the time, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> <laughs> Just blame the gods. Blame the gods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a fact. But uh, I, so I think we talked about a little bit of everything as far as hunting and what you guys offer out there and and the youth and what you get most from a or what brings you the most joy with in your profession. One thing I like to do before we close the episode down, I always ask all my guests if they could share one story in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, whatever that might be for you, that if you could relive day in and day out, what would that story be? Live day in and day out. Let's see. That's that's hard, man. There's so many hunts. Let's see. Um, man, I'll, I'll never – one that, that I relive and, and – one of like my first ever like actual goose hunts and this is might be slightly controversial but it was back shoot i was probably like eight or nine i was pretty young and we were hunting uh we were hunting a roost a goose roost uh in a town called lockney texas uh on the city treatment pond way back when when you could do that before it was legal and uh we were basically we were doing that man and that was it was like primitive to what it is now we were sitting in burlap sack, like feed like cattle feed sacks you know there's that burlap feed sack and we had that you grabbed like a couple tumble weeds and kosher weeds that were next to you and you sat in those and you hid in them and uh we had like five ten dozen real geese silhouettes back before you know dive bomb and big owls and all these other brands and Man, we uh we took their lunch money that day, and I'll I'll never forget that day. It was just you. It were so many birds on that hunt that if you were you were getting pooped on, and it was just it was a raw experience. And being such a green kid like that fueled my fire and fueled my passion. It was like, man, I want this all the time. And you know, drugs have never been a thing for me. Like I don't I don't drink. I don't do drugs like hunting is my high if that makes sense like that's what that's what does it for me love to hear it man yeah it's hard to it, it's hard to get kids excited for it nowadays you know in some areas where hunting is a, is is really hard to do you know it's it's experiences like that that really help ignite that fire like you said yeah for sure but all right, brother, I think we can go ahead and shut it down with that. I don't want to take too much of your time away. Hopefully you found a, sounds like you found a, a, a good feed of uh, cranes and, and definitely some widgeon out there. But if yep. you want to tell, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If y'all want to check us out, uh, it's just it's pretty simple. It's our name, Dirty Texas Outfitters, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I know we kind of connected via uh TikTok, we don't really post on that much just because they take down most of my videos. But uh, Facebook, Instagram, we're posting every day. Um, check us out on our website at DirtyTexasOutfitters.com. We're a fully insured operating commercial guide service. If you uh, if you have any questions, my number's on there. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to answer anything you have. Um, or even if I'm not your cup of tea, man, reach out to me and uh, ask question i'd love to recommend some other guide services to the people that do it right because like i said there's there's some people that are in it for the wrong reasons and i definitely would much rather if you're not going with me go with somebody who's reputable that's perfect brother well i just want to say i could tell sam man you uh you're doing this the right way um 
great guy, smart guy. And uh, if you ever run into a position where you're going out to Canada by yourself, man, seriously, shoot me an email. I'm uh I'm lucky enough to do what I do. I can I can pick up and go pretty much whenever I want, and I'm always down to, to chase some birds. So, well, put it on your calendar for next year because I'm going again, whether I have just me and my dog or a full group next year. <laughs> it sounds good, man. Just let me know. But uh, Sam, thanks again, brother. I'll shoot you some more information via email. Let you know when this is coming out and uh, whenever I get the edits posted. Okay, sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Come shoot some cranes with us when you're in Texas. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I'll give you a call. All right, sounds good. We'll see right, you. Thanks, brother.